Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. We all have stories to tell, and that's what this show is all about. When we tell our stories, we pass along our wisdom. We give each other a roadmap, a way to see things in a whole new way. Before you know it, we're all empowered to say, if she can do it, I can do it. In the spotlight, a woman who has experienced what every mother fears the most, the death of her child. The story of her little boy's brave battle against DIPG, which is a rare form of brain cancer, made headlines when news of the child who loved superheroes, especially the Green Lantern and the color green, along with real life heroes like members of our military and law enforcement, spread around the world with the hashtag, why not Devon? And before you know it, Devin was being visited by sports legends and famous actors, but most of all, he was being prayed for by people around the world, including the Pope. This was a child whose brief six years on earth affected many. The youngest of four boys, he is and was an angel to his mother, Christine Swow. We settled into the studio to talk about Devin's life his legacy through the Why Not Devon Foundation, and the lessons she has learned along the way. Christine, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Candy. We have the Kleenex right here because I think both of us are going to need it before the end of this show. Describe Devin to us. What was he like? Oh, Devin was my baby. He was attached to my hip all the time. He actually was born on my mom's five-year anniversary. I always said she sent him to me. He and I had a bond like no other. I love all of my four kids equally, but he and I just had this very unique bond. And he was funny and loving and kind and sweet and kept everyone on his toes. You discovered Devin's brain tumor when he hit his head, got a concussion. You needed to take him to the hospital. Tell us the story. He was snowboarding. Every Friday night, my kids all went skiing and snowboarding with a couple of other families. He had fallen, and the instructor brought him in and thought that he had gotten a concussion. We had him seen, kind of laid low for the weekend. And on Monday, I took him to see the pediatrician. She, too, thought he had just a concussion. He was his silly, wonderful self. It was great because it bought me a day at home with him to snuggle. And then on Tuesday, I sent him to school. On the way home, he threw up on the bus. I called the pediatrician and she sent us to the ER to have him checked for a brain bleed, which that in itself was horrifically, Scary enough. Yeah, yeah. horrifically terrifying. And then I found us in an ambulance headed to Children's Hospital. What was his prognosis? And tell us about his treatment plan. We were there for probably 16 hours having lots of tests and conversations and a team of doctors basically pulled my husband and I into a room and said, your son has the worst cancer there is. It is called diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma. It's not operable. It's not curable. It's not treatable. He has nine months to two years to live. What happens when you hear these words? Does it feel like a movie? Yeah. It's happening to somebody else? I can only describe it with a feeling that we were on the ground. I wasn't physically on the ground, but every part of my being was on the ground. Your brain goes to all these different places, but at the same time, I also believed that this wasn't going to be true and that he was going to be this first boy to beat this. So there you were at Boston Children's Hospital. Is that where Devin got his care? Because I also hear that you had a lot of interaction with St. Jude Research Hospital. I've actually been to St. Jude and seen the wonderful work that they do there. Talk to us a little bit about that part of the journey. 
trying to find the best medical care for him. That is one of the really difficult parts about this disease. Because there's no cure, the only thing they can offer you is radiation, which helps subside some of the symptoms for a short time being. And then you're basically left with the option to look through trials.gov to find a trial that could potentially work for the mutation that each child has. So Devin had a biopsy. He was only the 26th child in the United States to have a biopsy, which we were cautioned not to do. And then finally, there was a surgeon who really thought we should do it because it's the only way to find a treatment. Boston didn't have any trials. There was actually two trials in the United States, and Devin wasn't eligible for either of them. So we did talk to St. Jude's. They had a trial that was ongoing, but Devin was not a fit for it. So it left us to look in Mexico and London. And we flew to both places and had all of Devin's testing sent, ultimately decided to go to London, where he was treated at the Harley Street Clinic. Talk to me about what it's like to travel to another country with a child who's so sick. And you've got other boys at home. We were fortunate enough to have a community and family and friends who rallied behind us because in addition to the very difficult task of finding a treatment, there's no financial funding for it either. So insurance only pays for radiation. And with the diagnosis being potentially so short term, it was so important for me to have all four of my boys together wherever we went. When we went to London, we all went, and people in our community, we had one woman who came forward and rented an Airbnb for us. It was pretty overwhelming to go to another country without the support and the love of everyone that you know. We were there for three weeks initially and then traveled every four weeks to receive treatment. But the initial first time we were there to have the time, just the six of us, was kind of amazing as well. You were surrounded, as you just said, by a community of love during this illness. How did you come up with a hashtag, why not Devin? It was just in the first couple of days. I kept saying that someone had to be first when they had, you know, polio, someone was first to be cured and someone is first to not die of pneumonia years and years ago. Someone has to be first to beat DIPG. I thought with my whole soul, why not Devin? Why couldn't he be the first? And so that hashtag just kind of came up. It came up And then it just spread throughout the country like wildfire, not just in the United States, but around the world. And before you know it, people started to come forward. Who were they and what did they do for your little boy? Oh, my gosh. The most amazing person we got to meet was Pope Francis. We flew there after the marathon and we got to go and all of my children were blessed. Colin, my oldest, he spoke to the Pope. He was in sixth grade. He had just learned Spanish. And he spoke Spanish to the he Pope. He did. And he was so nervous. And the Pope was so patient and listened to him. And we're in front of 100,000 people. He just took his time. And then he waited until Devin looked at him to bless him. It was really one of the most surreal moments. What is it like to be in the presence of the Pope? It is undescribable, really. My son, Colin, after speaking with him, I obviously was crying. And, you know, here he was, this sixth grade boy, and he walked away and he just grabbed me and he said, Mom, did you feel that? Did you feel something? And he actually started to cry. He actually was with us for probably about 10 minutes, and it was the most almost out-of-body experience. Tell me about the Pope and Devin. Did he hold him? Did he touch him? How did it go? I was holding him, as Devin always was on my hip. Um, (laughs) He walked over and he put his hands on his cheeks and he just patiently waited until Devin turned and looked at him and then he spoke to him and then he kissed his head. He just was so patient and so loving and so spiritual. He probably spent a good 
three minutes with Devin, but his patience was probably the most inspiring. What role has your faith played in your life? My faith, I think, has played an enormous role in my life. My mom was this devout Catholic, and I remember she was so sick with breast cancer, and she was kneeling in church. It just has always been this greater power to pray to and to have something more that you can talk to and can rely on. I'll be honest, my faith has been rocked in the traditional sense a little bit right now. More, I think, when I went to church after I lost my mom, I felt so close to her and so in touch with her. And going to church now is a little difficult because I am envisioning seeing my baby boy at the front of our church. Um, My faith is still enormous, and it is so important to me. I've just struggled a little bit on Honestly, Devin was also embraced by local and state law enforcement. (laughs) What did they do for him? Our city started off and made him chief for the day, and he got to go and put his brothers in prison, and he sat down (laughs) at the chief's desk. He didn't put you in prison, though, not 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 his mama. (laughs) He knows who fed him. And then, you know, he had the entire audience of of media and all the police officers, and he sat at the chief's desk, and he said, now I'm going to sit here and do nothing. (laughs) And so they have referenced that a lot. And then, you know, Boston PD has been amazing and made Devin the Mater D for the Southie Parade. Anybody in uniform, he always was in awe of. I don't believe in any coincidence in life yeah. at all. And for my other boys to have these men and women in uniform that they can look up to and, and can also be in awe of, I think is is so vitally important. You also had some visits from some of the Boston Red Sox and some sports legends. Talk about that. We have. We got to meet so many. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how, you they know. They showed up. Right in his hospital room. Yep. Last year, some of the Red Sox players, Joe Kelly came dressed as the Green Lantern, Brock Holt, Jackie Bradley Jr., Kellen Rowe from the Revs came and they made Devin an honorary member of the Revolutions. John Cena came. Uh, We got to meet a lot of the Celtics and Did you hear from Kim Kardashian, I heard? So she tweeted, she actually was the first celebrity, I guess, to get a hold of Devin's story and she tweeted it. From there, it kind of went. For my other boys, which we tried to make them a really big part of this, we had all different sports teams, and my kids all like very different sports. And so for them, they all got to meet their heroes. But I will say, when Joe Kelly came dressed up as the Green Lantern, Devin was really sick at that point. But the light in his eyes when he (laughs) saw that was beyond... I know that Devin benefited greatly from alternative therapies like Reiki, and so did you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh my gosh, I had the opportunity to be exposed to Reiki not long before Devin was diagnosed. I met this woman who I know you've had the pleasure of meeting, Paula, who became such a huge part of our medical team for both Devin and I, to the point that when we were in London and Devin had had surgery and he was having a hard time breathing, I was talking with Paula. It was in the middle of the night here, and she was telling me what oils to put on his feet to help him breathe better, and she could calm his anxiety and mine as well. At Children's, they also had some other people who who did Reiki who came in to see us, and it really was an integral part of our medical process. You are also a runner. So take us back to April 16th, I think it was, Mm -hmm. 2017. Devin is five and you're running the Boston Marathon for him. There is a shot that we're going to show as part of the series of him running into your arms. Tell us about that day. 
I might need the tissues right now. So I had wanted to run the Boston Marathon for years. I finally received a bib to run for Susan G. Komen, which was an organization that was near and dear to my family. When Devin was diagnosed at the end of January, I said I wasn't going to run. Um, I didn't want to take the time away from him. And in fact, the day that he was diagnosed, I ran my last run, which was 16 miles. My very dear friend, Lorelai, was given a bib by the BAA about three weeks before the marathon to run for Devin and our family to raise money. And Susan G. Combe was great and said I could defer my bib. I could have it, whatever I wanted to do with it. I had run a bunch of half marathons. So I had decided, okay, I'll run half the marathon and then I'll jump on the tee or get an Uber and go to the finish line. They made Devin the team captain of Framingham. One of the gentlemen from Team Framingham came over the night before and said, oh, you won't run just 13. You'll run 16 or 17. Get on the tee there and head in. So I hosted Easter dinner on Sunday and then got up on Monday morning and we took the bus to Marathon Village. About a block and a half from the start, my phone rang and I was told that Devin was going to be a block and a half from the finish line with Boston PD. So at that point, I knew if there was ever a chance I was not running the entire thing, I was now. My only fear was that I was going to be injured and not be able to get on the plane that night to head to Rome to meet the Pope. Jeez. Yeah. But so there you are mm-hmm. running a full marathon now, mm-hmm. knowing that your little boy is waiting at the end. Yeah. Can you just describe that moment? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. During the marathon, the stories and the people along the way really, I think, carried me. Mile 13, there was a man running ahead of me who had a t-shirt on. that The back of his shirt said, I survived a brain tumor. And my girlfriend tapped me and I saw it and I was speechless. And we ran past him and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, I'm going to need your shirt in 13 years. My son's going to beat his brain tumor. And we kept running. And then I looked at my girlfriend and I was like, I'm such a jerk. I did not say anything to him about his brain tumor. We stopped at the next water station and I looked around for him. I didn't find him. And then a few minutes after, After leaving that water station, I felt a tap on my shoulder and it was this gentleman. And he said, how's your son? I said, I'm so glad I found you. Congratulations. And he said, oh, no, I still have it. At that moment, I thought, "Okay, if this man can run a marathon with a brain tumor, I can certainly run for my child. Who does? I came around the corner at Boylston. Things were kind of blurry at that point. I ran and I saw a line of police officers and there was my baby boy in the front of the line. He jumped up into my arms and I don't know how I didn't fall over. I was crying and he was wiping my tears. (laughs) As he often did. Hardest question for me to ask you is, did you have to talk to Devin about dying? And if you did, what did you say to this little boy? I did not. And we tried to be very honest with his brothers as well. I did not believe he was going to die. I truly didn't. We brought him home on October 18th, and he lost his battle on October 20th. And even then, I still had hope. 
I really truly believe hope carried me through and I didn't see his decline towards the end. We referred to the tumor as a rock and he always said, I got to get the rock out of my head. We said, we're doing everything possible. He never complained. He never asked why me. He never felt bad for himself. There was never those questions. It was just, we are going to fight this and get through and do what we need to do. I'm going to obviously guess that you were holding this child when he passed away. Mm -hmm. So we brought him home from Children's Hospital on October 20th, where we gave my other three boys the option whether they wanted to stay in the hospital or take him home. And they all decided they wanted to be home, which really was the very most right thing for us to do because all of our friends and our family, I mean, and we have such a huge support system, got to come and see Devin. Every night we had everyone leave around seven o'clock so just the six of us could be together and watch movies. Devin had suffered a massive seizure and was sleeping around the clock at that point. On the night of the 19th, I was in bed with him holding him and my son Colin was there. And around 1.30, Colin kind of got really anxious and nervous. I think he knew what was happening. And so he moved and everyone was asleep. And I woke up uh, around 3.15 and I knew that Devin was taking his last breaths. And I tried to wake up my family and he passed away in my arms. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. I truly, truly am. Tell me about the Why Not Devin Foundation. What do you do, Christine? What is your mission? This legacy that you've created for your son. We were so fortunate to have a, such a huge network of friends and family and community, thousands and thousands of people who helped us. So many people have said to me, how do you get out of bed every day? And one of the main reasons, aside from my other three children, is that I know we did everything possible to try to save his life. I wasn't confined with money, logistics, or trying to get to a location to fight for him. And that was because of the generosity and the support of everyone around us. For me, the only way that I can continue getting out of bed is to help other people going through the same thing. I was on the phone actually with a woman today whose son has been fighting for almost 20 months, which is unheard of. He's seven years old. I asked her, what do you need? And they want to go to Germany. She's not sure that that's the right thing because she knows he's in progression. It's so important to find a cure. And there are some big organizations who have also lost a child to DIPG who are working for research. The goal of Why Not Devon is to support families, whether it, they need airfare or they need a hotel to go somewhere or they need money for medicine. But it's also for support of the family. And a couple of weeks ago, I'd organized a DIPG retreat for moms who have lost. And I had 10 women who came to my house and I organized a day of Reiki and massage and cards. Then we went that night and we did art therapy and we went out to dinner. It was kind of this positive energy healing, but then it was also we were normal women who were yes. going and doing things that like you would do with your college friends. It feels friends. very personal. It feels very yeah. friend-oriented, soulful. Yes. How can our listeners donate to your charity? We have Why Not Devin on Facebook. That is our group that we originally started to let our friends and family know what was going on with Devin and where we were in treatment and what was happening. And it spread so quickly. And now it's a way for us to communicate with Devin's army, who is still a huge part of our support and our foundation, and then also for kids fighting DIPG to come and find us. We're in the midst of creating a website for the organization. 
Mayor Walsh, the mayor of Boston, gave us great advice initially. And he said, you need to take time to grieve and to mourn and to support each other before you go on this endeavor. We've been working really hard to have it be made a 501c3. And so that's actually all happened. And now through the website, and then we have a Venmo and a PayPal account. Hopefully, we'll continue to have some fundraising events as well. But for now, people can reach you just with the hashtag, why not Devin, and just go to Facebook. The one-year anniversary just came and went. How did you spend the day, and what was that day like for you? I mentioned earlier, Devin was born on my mom's five-year anniversary. She had passed away after a lengthy battle with breast cancer, and he changed that day for not only myself, but our entire family. I learned a really important lesson then, and that was to make a bad day better. For me, it was so important to make October 20th better. So I met with the mayor of Framingham, Mayor Spicer, and the mayor of Boston, Mayor Walsh, to talk about making October 20th a day of kindness and friendship. Our priest had named Devin the saint of friendship to incorporate both in that day. For me, was a way to make a bad day better and to have a positive impact. So my dear friend, Jessica, and I put together these pillows, 50 of them, to bring to Children's Hospital to the neuro floor and to the oncology floor. Hopefully some kids who were there had a better day. You're talking about Jessica Leap. I sure am. Who has been a guest on the story behind her success, and I invite everyone to listen to her story. Your oldest son did the eulogy at your baby boy's funeral. What did he say? He didn't write anything down before, and I just said, honey, just speak from your heart. And I was shocked that he wanted to speak. I am typically the talker in our family. I knew that day I would not be able to do so. He spoke from his heart. And as the biggest brother to his baby brother, out of four boys, my oldest, Colin, and my youngest, Devin, were the most alike from pregnancy to birth to looks and personality. And they just had a very unique connection. Your little boy touched so many lives, didn't he? He did. What has been the lesson here for you? These have been hard, hard lessons for you, and you're still so young. I feel like this last year, I've learned so much from something I never, ever thought would happen. I never was a person to take things for granted. I, in the summers, loved Camp Mom with all of my kids. I embraced, I feel like, a lot of everything. But your life can change in one minute. I also have really learned a lot about other people that you never know what someone else is going through. Kindness matters. Not everyone is able to show you what they're going through or tell you. You don't need to know what someone else is going through, but you need to be kind and to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. That's one really big thing I've learned. The other is life is short. You need to make the most out of every day. Do the best you can for yourself and those around you. You've been traveling the country. You've been talking to groups, large and small, about DIPG awareness. You've been trying to found this Why Not Devon Foundation. If you could take a woman whose child is terminally ill by the hand and tell her one thing you wish you knew when your journey got started, what would it be? So I recently was just asked this question by a mom whose son has DIPG, and he was diagnosed just three months ago. The one piece of advice that I would give is that if you have other children, make them involved in every aspect of it. Don't lose a minute. Don't take away a minute because that time you can't ever get back regardless of what the outcome is. 
On New Year's Eve, when the clock changed to 2018, a few people said to me, oh, you must be so happy to be done with 2017. It was the worst year of your life. My gut reaction was exactly that. And then when I took a moment to think about it, 2017, I had the worst heartbreak of my life, but I created more memories with my family and had more love in 2017 than most people have in their entire life. It really changed my perspective on things. We all have stories to tell. You've told yours today. And when we tell our stories, we do pass along our wisdom to others, Christine. We give each other that roadmap that I was talking about at the beginning of the show, a way to see things differently. Before you know it, we're able to say, if she can do it, I can do it. At this moment, at this time in your life, what does success mean to you? Success means showing my boys that you can get up every day and you can still make a difference. I keep saying there's a reason why we're still here. There is so much love and learning in life left in each of us. And you have today and you have to make it count. If I can show that to my boys and that you can overcome and you can move forward even one step at a time, no matter how big it is or how small it is, wherever you are that day, that's what success means to me right now. I want to say thank you so much for being so candid and sharing your story today on the story behind her success. Thank you so much, Candy. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?